So Claire, thank you very much for speaking with me today on the topic of employment equality in the context of COVID-19. So workplaces have undergone a dramatic change since the outbreak of the pandemic last March and employers have had to become far more flexible in relation to employee working arrangements um, in order to comply with all of the relevant public health advice and guidelines. So there are concerns about the pandemic um, that it's having a disproportionate effect on certain categories of workers, however. So namely those that are at increased risk or more vulnerable to the virus or perhaps more susceptible to its disruptions. And so employees or employers have to be particularly alert to the needs of those category of employees. Um, otherwise, it's fair to assume that we might see a rise in discrimination claims before the WRC or the Labour Court. So perhaps we just might begin by looking at who are these workers um, that are perhaps more vulnerable um, and therefore more disproportionately affected by the pandemic in the context of their employment. Um, might look at what some of the issues are facing these particular categories of workers. Sure, yeah. Thanks, Edimar. I mean... I suppose we're all still grappling with these issues, um, but certainly in terms of what I can see, the main three categories of workers who are disproportionately affected are the usual uh, vulnerable type of workers, uh, women, in particular women with children um, because of the school closures, but also women are more likely to work part time, have more atypical um, you know, fixed term contracts, zero hour contracts, etc., um, obviously, then you have people with disabilities who would be more adversely affected in terms of maybe their ability to work in the workplace, the type of accommodations they would need if they do have a susceptibility to COVID and it may more adversely affect them than it would other workers. And also older workers, because interestingly, older workers are affected kind of on two bases. The first is if they're over 65 or certainly over 70, and it's not beyond the bounds possibility that plenty of, plenty of workplaces have workers over the age of 70, but it, workers over the age of 70 are, from a medical perspective, more likely to be adversely affected by COVID and therefore need certain special facilities. And also the HSE in their uh, protocol for return to work actually define workers over 70 as being high risk and are almost very coming very close to recommending that workers over 70 do not return to the workplace. And that obviously does call, sorry, cause issues for workers who may not be able to work from home and what is an employer supposed to do? And we'll obviously talk through that a bit more. I suppose the key message for employers is to be flexible, patient, flexible, and get appropriate occupational and health advice. The worst thing an employer can do from a discrimination perspective is make an assumption. In other words, Joe Bloggs is over 70, he cannot work. Therefore, I'm going to put him on a period of layoff. That's that's where the issues arise, because you have to do so on the basis of occupational and medical advice, health and safety advice, etc. And also what's very clear from the uh, return to work document published um, by the HS, the Health and Safety Authority as well, is consultation with employees. So no kind of assumptions, no um, kind of fait accompli type decisions being made without the employee having uh, been offered an opportunity and certainly no decisions being presented as a final decision without any input. So the pandemic, I suppose it's a very novel thing. I mean, we've never experienced this in, in our lifetime anyway. Um, so for employers, I mean, 
this concept of reasonable accommodation and providing, um, I suppose, additional supports or, or greater flexibility for, for workers is, I suppose, a new concept um, in, in, in the context of a pandemic. Um, is there any guidance available to employers which would assist them in navigating what would be um, regarded as reasonable accommodation in this context, particularly where there's a lot of businesses and employers who are, are suffering um, financially. Is there guidance there as to what reasonable accommodation in a pandemic looks like? The Health and Safety Authority have published guidance for employers, which kind of it wouldn't necessarily be referred to as reasonable accommodation, but there's a lot of help in there for, for uh, individuals with disabilities. I mean, just the first point is that reasonable accommodation only applies for employees with disabilities. So it doesn't apply to women with children. It doesn't apply to older workers unless they have an underlying condition, which means that they could be captured by disability. But certainly reasonable accommodation would be very common, uh, like working from home. And there's plenty of cases from the WRC and the Labour Court on Appeal setting out quite clearly what is required of an employer, in particular working from home. It's very difficult for an employer to deny the right to an employee to work from home unless there's extremely good reason. I mean, the other idea is to look at, you know, um, particularly with uh, employees with disabilities, making sure that they have, you know, maybe an isolated work environment, etc. Flexibility in terms of hours, start times, end times. So perhaps they have less uh, contact with other employees. Those are the type of reasonable accommodation you would be seeing. But the first one would be working from home. However, reasonable accommodation is not absolute for individuals with uh, disabilities, and it doesn't require an employee, for example, sorry, an employer to create a new position for an employee. So if the employee is not able to undertake their duties from home, then an employer has to look at what they can do in terms of changing some of the duties, but they do not have to offer a fundamentally different position. And also, reasonable accommodation is capped at a disproportionate burden. So it's not an overly costly exercise for an employer. If an employer simply cannot afford to make the accommodations, for example, provide a isolated office or something like that, it's too costly, they'd have to spend a lot of money doing so, then that wouldn't be, you know, that would probably be something that's not captured by reasonable accommodation. But again, reasonable accommodation, and the Supreme Court have made this clear in a decision called Nano-Nagel, versus daily, it's all about consultation with the employee, you know, having good advice, be it medical, occupational health and safety advice, following that advice, and also consulting with the employee, allowing the employee to have an input into the process. And if after all of that, it's not possible to accommodate the employee by virtue of it being too onerous, by virtue of the job not being um, able to be performed um, remotely, uh, or too costly, then that is something that an employer can refuse. But again, I repeat the idea of assumptions and an employer assuming they can't reasonably accommodate an employee, that's where the employers get into difficulty. When you're talking about reasonable accommodation, for it's, I suppose it's, it's mostly geared towards those with disabilities. But I suppose in the context of a pandemic, you know, this is affecting, as you say, women, um, older age groups um, in a kind of a, in a very uh, particular way. And is there that scope then to apply reasonable accommodation for those categories. Um, so looking at women and, and older age groups um, aside from disability. Yeah, I mean, effectively, you could argue that reasonable accommodation applies almost by um, kind of default to particular to women with children because there's an obligation 
as a matter of law to have a look at flexibility in terms of particularly women coming back from maternity leave, uh, women with children. I mean, the schooling is a huge issue because the schools are closed at the moment. And as we all know, the primary care responsibilities for children rest with women. And that's a fact you just cannot get away from, even as we like to think we're a very um, equality friendly society. And that stems from maternity leave, not paternity leave. So the maternity leave goes to the mother and that kind of perpetuates that primary caregiving. But certainly flexibility is required of employers. Employers cannot expect employees to be working full tilt when they are also trying to homeschool or emergency school, as I like to call it. So, again, it's looking at flexibility, maybe working part time. Um, allowing the employee to work, you know, later hours. So maybe they may not start until lunchtime and then work for the rest of the day. Um, you know, taking carers leave. Carers leave is possible uh, for employees if they have full time care responsibilities for children. So there are plenty of flexible options available. Um, and that the benefit of carers leave is that there's a social welfare element attached to it. You know, so there'd be no obligation on the employer to pay them. So I think a lot of employers are being very flexible because ultimately they realise that they cannot expect 100% from employees who have care responsibilities, perhaps even to older parents, but more likely to be children, um, in particular by virtue of the schools being closed. So a lot of employers are just simply taking a very um, flexible attitude and allowing employees to maybe work weekends or work during the week. I mean, employers have to be careful and make sure that the employees are not overworking. They're not working in excess of their hours. So I think it's very key. It's very clear that there needs to be some type of framework agreed between the employer and the employee as to what's expected of the employee, what hours of work and making it quite clear that the employee is not expected to work more than the hours that are put in place at the flexibility. Um, and also a lot of employers are looking at pay cuts as well because of the pandemic and their business being decimated, for example, hospitality, uh, you know, uh, tourism, for example. A lot of those industries have been decimated, unlike, for example, the pharma industry, where you wouldn't even know that there has been a pandemic. In fact, their business is probably up and I understand some of the companies are recruiting. But, you know, if there is a pay cut, then that means there can be a level of flexibility in terms of the hours expected of the employee. So generally, employers have been quite novel. Um, and certainly from what I have seen, carers leave is being resorted to or parental leave. Um, so there are plenty of leave options which don't require the employer to pay the employee, but give the employee um, access to social welfare, which is not insignificant, albeit that it'd be usually quite a lot less than what the employee would be earning. So there seems to be a lot of scope for flexibility and for supports there for for employees um, who might be more adversely affected by the, the pandemic. But at what point then might the, these decisions or actions of the employers become discriminatory um, for these different categories? So looking at women, people with disabilities, older age groups, what does a, a bad decision, you know, one that, that, that amounts to discrimination look like? The worst type of decision an employer can make is a decision without looking whether it's discriminatory proof. So making the assumption that it's not. So, for example, the types of decisions I've seen being made, which are arguably in breach of uh, the Employment Equality Act, would be something like a requirement that the employee work in the workplace um, without having conducted any risk assessment, occupational assessment, health and safety assessment. Um, a requirement that employees work full time, no flexibility allowed. Um, or the converse of that is that they cannot work from home 
um, and they're simply placed on a period of layoff because there's no work for them. They wouldn't generally be dismissed. Those type of decisions can very frequently be discrimination, either indirect, because it looks like it's a neutral rule, but it always affects older workers, workers with disabilities, or in particular women with care responsibilities. So those type of decisions, the kind of assumption, rigid rules without any flexibility or without really looking behind the decision and seeing who is this going to affect, they're the type of decisions that are going to get employers into difficulties. So if an employer is changing working arrangements within the employment or within the workplace, they should always look very closely at them and scrutinise them. And there should be some level of consultation with the employees, either as a group or on an individual basis. Obviously, if the, if the workplace is unionised, they can they can deal with the unions, albeit that a lot of private enterprises are not unionised. Um, but as I said, I think just making assumptions and issuing kind of black letter type decisions are the, are the ones where the discrimination arises. Both the employer and the employee have to be flexible. And I think the best workplaces where there's less likely to be discrimination are ones where there's full consultation, innovative decisions being made and looked at, and also uh, flexibility. Are there some um, past cases that we can look at, um, which I suppose we've, we've never gone through a pandem- pandemic before, but um, I, I suppose maybe there might have been, uh, maybe the financial crisis, for example, might be something that we could um, equate it to in the sense that, you know, there's financial difficulties on businesses and you know layoffs and all that kind of thing. Are there some examples of case law that would have occurred around that time that would help kind of give us insight as to how discrimination claims might be dealt with in the context of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, there's there's two kind of case groups of cases that jump out at me immediately um, from the last kind of pandemic. So we're talking about 2008 eight onwards. The first uh, would be uh, working from home. So an, an employee with a disability looking to work from home, either partially um, or uh, entirely or having their workplace moved. So it's closer to their home if they have, for example, physical disabilities. Or even in the context of, in particular, mental health difficulties, working from home or having more flexible hours in terms of later start times due to, you know, fatigue by medication or whatever. And all of those cases went against the employer. So the employer who refuses working from home or more flexible hours or a more flexible working arrangement by virtue of some working from home, some working from the office, or even... uh, changing the work location on the basis of occupational advice. So if the employer gets advice and ignores it, those are the type of cases. There's plenty of those cases uh, from the last pandemic, and we can anticipate that these would arise again. Albeit that I think employers were much more readily accepting of working from home because they had to be. And I think the issue that's going to arise is if an employer allows an employee to work from home, obviously in an emergency type situation as it was last March, and as it has been since Christmas, um, or certainly December, um, it's going to be very difficult to roll back on that and say, well, actually, you can't work from home because it's worked perfectly well. Um, and the second group I would see uh, is women coming back from maternity leave. Um, and certainly in the last pandemic, my personal experience was that women coming back from maternity leave were very susceptible to redundancy, much more so than their non, you know, their non-maternity leave counterparts. Um, and that's because, you know, they've been out of the workplace for up to a year. If, if a woman takes the full six months and then the additional maternity leave, 14 weeks, then has built up some annual leave. So it could well be a year that the employee is out of the workplace and there's changes in the workplace. 
How do they affect the employee? How do they affect the employee's job? Is it the same job she's coming back to? Because fundamentally, as a matter of EU and Irish law, a woman returning from maternity leave is entitled to the same job. Her job, and it's actually, it's almost like a property right or else a reasonable alternative that's suitable to her. And obviously a year is a long time in the workplace, particularly during the pandemic. Um, So employers have to be very careful when dealing with employees coming back from maternity leave that they are consulted with in terms of changes within the workplace if their job has changed that they're given appropriate training etc but certainly my experience was that a lot of women returning from maternity leave disproportionately were affected by redundancy you know they come back to work and told their job is gone and that may not be accurate for example their maternity leave replacement may still be there or there may be elements of their job that are being done by somebody else but being out of the workplace if there is a major redundancy consultation process being ongoing and the the woman on maternity leave is not in a position to uh, participate in that process, it leaves her very, very vulnerable to, to redundancy. So those are the two areas I would see arising um, significantly in, in terms of the cases, and they were very prevalent in the last recession. And you mentioned there about mental health issues. Um, is mental health considered a disability um, under the provisions of the Employment Equality Act? Yeah, that's a good question. It certainly is if the employee has medical evidence. There's a very wide definition of disability under the Employment Equality Act. Um, It covers temporary disabilities. It covers past disabilities. So maybe an employee has mental health issues. But an employee needs to have medical evidence that they are suffering from a mental health condition. Usually they'll have taken work time off work. They'll usually be in receipt of some type of treatment, be it counselling or medication. But they can't just say I have a disability because, for example, I'm, I don't want to go back to work. I'm concerned about getting COVID. That wouldn't be a disability unless they have a real properly recognisable psychological or psychiatric condition that leads to that. So the, the idea of employees saying, well, look, I'm genuinely fearful of getting COVID. That's not a disability unless they have the medical evidence. So the full parameter of stress, you know, anxiety, depression, the types of common uh, psychological conditions are covered but as I said you need to have medical evidence and you know just saying I'm feeling down or or whatever that's not going to be sufficient and you'd also have to put the employer on notice that you have the disability in the form of a medical certificate from your GP or whatever and generally some type of time off work uh, and medication or treatment would be required. That's an interesting point because I think mental health is becoming a lot more prevalent um, over the past 12 months. So it's, it's interesting to know that. Yeah, I mean, we even saw it last weekend with um, the CNN reporter from Cahar Savina. His name escapes me, you know, the, the guy. Oh, Donny. Donny, there you are. Donny Cassidy. Is that, is that his name? Donny O'Sullivan. Donny O'Sullivan, sorry. I mean, he was very open about his mental health struggles, both in Ireland and the US. And that is incredibly important for someone like him, who's a young man. And we know, we all know that the young men are not disclosing it. Um, and that can be, a, be an issue because an employer is not aware of it. But it's really important that they seek help and they seek appropriate help and treatment as soon as they can. And talking about it is really important. But yeah, um, certainly mental health issues are increasingly more prevalent during COVID for employers. Like I was talking to a, an employer client there a couple of weeks ago. And he was just saying he has a kind of a weekly conversation with his employees. And one day they were all like, this is just crap. We can't deal with this anymore. You know, like what, you know, so he made it clear that they could take a day off or, you know, was advising them to, you know, go get medical attention if they wanted or whatever. So employers are very cognizant of it as well. You know, they're really listening to employees. 
Um, and if they feel that one of the employees might be falling behind, um, they'll usually try and take steps. So that's good because people are much more aware of it than they would have been even 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of employers now introducing, I suppose, well-being programs, you know, a series of talks um, that attend, you know, employees can attend. That's right, like, like counselling or um, a lot of them are doing, as I understand it, um, online exercise courses. Because, I mean, the way to keep your mental health in check, it's all the usual ones. It's sleep, good diet, exercise, fresh air. Um, and they're really the main thing. So a lot of employers are being very cognizant of that. I heard of one employer who does um, outside yoga at lunchtime. So everyone goes outside to their garden and they do yoga or meditation or something at lunchtime once a week uh, or mindfulness or something. So everyone has to get out of their house. Obviously, if it's wet, they do it inside, but it's very much encouraging people to get outside. Um, So I think a lot of employers are more cognizant of it. And it's ultimately, I mean, being very flippant about it. It's in the employer's best interest to keep the mental health of employees up because they'll get more resilient, more productive employees, you know, less sick leave. Absolutely. So, I mean, do you think we will see a rise in discrimination claims, um, I suppose, in the next year or two? Or, you know, I mean, has there been any indication of that, do you think, given that there seems to be a lot of flexibility being exercised by employers? And- yeah, no, I do. Certainly among smaller employers, I mean, employers who don't get advice, make assumptions. Um, I think the context of older employees, and actually I meant to say older employees, I've seen quite a few uh perspective cases coming across my desk of older employees being very vulnerable to redundancy or layoff above the younger employees um, and obviously the disabled or the employees with the disability and the uh, the working parents usually the mother yeah I mean the WRC and the Labour Court have been very curtailed in having hearings they didn't hold hearings at all between March and August um, and they're only hearing online uh, cases now so there's a massive backlog in cases so I think over the next year or two those cases will start coming on for hearing um, and certainly in my experience there's going to be an awful lot of discrimination cases um, coming down the tracks by virtue of treatment during COVID and I also think employees are more willing to stand up and assert their entitlements and they're more aware of what their entitlements are i mean there's so much excellent information available on employment rights and in particular equality rights so a lot of employees are able to look up their rights very quickly realize what's going on and make it clear that they're going to you know assert their entitlements and if they don't they will bring a claim well, Claire, that's all been really informative. Um, thank you re- very much. I mean, the pandemic is clearly throwing up some novel issues for the workplace um, and employers are going to have to be much more alert to any potentially discriminatory decisions that they make in their efforts to accommodate workers during, again, what is a very difficult time for a lot of businesses. Um, but I suppose whether or not they've been successful in doing so, I guess, remains to be seen. And as you say, uh, with cases coming down the line, we'll see what, what the outcome is. Um, as determined by the WRC or the Labour Court. So thank you very much for giving us some I suppose, some advanced insight into some of the issues that may arise and um, we'll just have to wait and see. Thank you.